Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Debbie Lewis. She is the author of Kitchen Medicine, How I Fed My Daughter Out of Failure to Thrive, and has written for outlets including the New York Times, Bon Appetit, Huffington Post, Romper, Wired, and more. She lives in the Chicago suburbs with her husband and two teenage daughters. Welcome, Debbie. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad that you're here today, and I'm really excited to talk about your book because when this episode airs, it will be a really new release. So can I ask you, have you been a writer for much of your life? I have, actually. Um, I have one of those fill-in-the-blank books we all got when we were in elementary school, to all the things you were your favorites and what you wanted to do. And at the age of nine, I wrote that when I grew up, I wanted to be an author. And uh, <laughs> here we go, 2022, finally made that goal. Um, <laughs> well, right. Yeah, I, but yeah. you've been writing. You've been writing, but like an author of a book. Yes, exactly. To have a mm-hmm. book, to write books. Um, so I did go to undergraduate and graduate school for creative writing and oh, always wow. hoped that I could make a life out of it. Um, so yeah, I've, I've always loved to write. And the kind of writing you did prior to this memoir, mm-hmm. was there a type of writing that you gravitate toward? Yeah, I actually th- always thought of myself as a fiction writer. I wrote a lot of short fiction um, in, when I was younger and um, at work right now on a series of novels. So nonfiction did not come naturally to me. Um, but I think largely that was because I, I didn't think I had anything terribly interesting to write about. Mm. Pretty average Midwestern suburban childhood and, you know, happy marriage and healthy kids until I didn't. Mm, Yes, and that is the perfect introduction for you to tell us a little bit about your memoir. Thank you. Yes, so Kitchen Medicine is the story of parenting my younger daughter through nine years of medical mystery, mostly uh, involving how she was always struggling to eat eat enough, eat quickly enough, and and to grow. Um, so the, the diagnosis failure to thrive is probably the one that followed her the longest, but there were many along the way. This book is the story of my parenting her. Less than it is her story, it's my story of, of what it feels like to be the mother of a child who can't seem to eat. Mm-hmm. And your daughter is how old now? She's 16 now. Okay. And so this began when she was how old? Uh, really the the moment that we began trying to feed her solid foods, so six mm-hmm. months. Okay, and I guess as we talk about your memoir and your experience, you mm-hmm. can be really mindful of what you do or don't want to share, you know, because of course we want people to go and <laughs> read the book. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess what I want to know too is when did you realize that you had a, a story to tell about this? I mean, I have written about my children just a little bit. We had some health concerns with one, and I began writing a little bit about them. And, you know, I wrote after some of the hardest times had happened. And I'm wondering when you got the sense that this would be a a story you had to tell in memoir form. I think some of some of the impetus to write it as a book was that I always was told in in writing programs that I was in that you should write the book you want to read, mm-hmm. and f- and for me searching 
constantly for any ideas about how I might be able to help Sammy, my daughter. I was always trying to find something that looked like our story, and I never could. I think there's a lot of shame associated with how we feed our children in all directions. Are we feeding them too much junk? Are we too strict? Are we Should we be going organic? Are we worried about gluten? Is this behavior because of some kind of food? I mean, there's just mm-hmm. no end to the way that parents can torture themselves this way. But I wasn't finding any writing about it. Mm. Um, and and so in the end, the, the way that I felt like I could contribute something, that something could have come of this experience, was to write about it and to give that opportunity for other parents to, to find a mirror for their own feelings. Are you about four or five years out of the the trenches is that is that about right no actually thank goodness we are eight years out of the trenches almost exactly Mm, okay and Mm -hmm. so uh, how does one know in your opinion that that they have enough time perspective or distance to thread the story together for readers well, um, for me, I, I started by working with um, a public voice coach um, just to get a sense of how could I get this story out? What was the right way to do it? I always thought I wanted to write a book, but I was open to the idea that there were different ways to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so w- what I started with was writing a blog and writing articles and getting them published to build a platform for it. And by the time I got all the way to the point of, of being ready to look for an agent and a and a publisher, I'd been able to kind of walk all the way around the elephant and look at it from every side, you know, the the parable of the blind men and the elephant, where all of them can describe it in the way that they feel it, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and all of them can be right and wrong. And mm-hmm. so I think I did the same kind of thing, walked all the way around our story, looked at what was the best way to, I mean, not just to write about it, but also to, to find a marketable way to sell it. The information I felt like I could get through to people in a variety of ways. And so publishing is a business and you need Mm -hmm. to find a a hook that works for a publishing company. So -hmm. that took time. I also needed a a few years just to to think about what had happened and to heal my soul from the experience. So I, I think I needed time for the perspective and also, you know, time to figure out what the right way to tell it was. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that th- there's a journey here that has so much to do with medicine and doctors and panic. I mean, I'm 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 totally assuming this. I don't know if I'm right about this. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I would imagine that it, it might be difficult, at least for me, I know when I was writing my memoir, to figure out what scenes stay and what scenes go and what is is helping the narrative and what might not need to be there. So were you able to sort that out on your own for the most part, or did you really need fresh eyes for that that part? I think it's a combination of just the, the way that publishing works. And then also, like you said, kind of getting a, a sense for what's important to you versus what would be important to a reader. So I actually have a full draft of this book that's not being published that mm-hmm. comes at it from a completely different angle. So my book went out on submission to publishers in January of 2020. If everyone recalls what happened <laughs> in February of 2020, selling a book that was largely an angle of medical malpractice and a sick child was not going to happen in the middle of a global pandemic. And I didn't didn't get a lot of movement. So going back and and trying to find another angle, I I really thought what people are interested in now is food and feeding. I mean, so much of our lives became 
this constant, mm-hmm. you know, how do we get groceries? How do we make this? What do we do with this weird ingredient we got instead? Oh my goodness, we're cooking three meals a day now for our children. Yeah. And so, you know, trying to think about what was interesting to people and and also was, you know, was going to be um appealing to publishers helped me make some of those decisions. But I certainly have a lot of murdered darlings in a folder on my computer, (laughs) you know, pieces of this that just aren't aren't in the book. And, And, you know, maybe we'll come out in a different way someday. Yeah, and so you, it's it's really worth spending a little time here because you you did say that publishing is a business, and it's you know it's it can be such a hard road, uh, especially f- well for writers, for anyone, for any creative, but especially I find with with memoir because it's really hard. I mean, I have read rejections that certain writers post, you know, just to to kind of commiserate, and you know, people the 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 responses you might get from agents will be, I can't sell your story, or it's not this enough it's not that enough or you know I really like it but I don't know if other people will care about it etc 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 so I'm curious did you go did you revise it on your own with this new angle before you put it out on submission again yes I rewrote it and I rewrote it at least the first four four chapters that would go into a book proposal Mm -hmm. I wrote from scratch Mm -hmm. certainly pulled scenes and bits of writing from the original manuscript but but for the most part, this is a brand new version. And that was terrible to have to do. I have to admit it. I mean, I, I couldn't <laughs> believe I had to start over. But, but interestingly, because my book is framed largely in, in food-related phases of our lives, each chapter is named after a food um, that we ate during a, a particular time, it gave me an opportunity to think carefully and deliberately and then feel like I had a map to start with. Mm-hmm. So I actually started with, I wrote four chapters, each uh, about a different food. And then when I looked at the arc of the story, chose a food for each of the other chapters so that once the proposal was accepted and I had to go back and write the full manuscript, I could easily, you know, kind of frame each chapter quickly. Um, It was Was food. Was food the principle, the structuring principle prior to the rewrite? No. Ah. No, it was not. It was a total, a totally new angle. When you just, I get so happy hearing about that structure as a writer. Like for mm-hmm. me, I, I personally need a structure to feel very free when I'm writing, but I also know like a longer work, but I also know that I can't set settle on a structure personally until I know what I'm trying to say. So it's really the chicken or the mm-hmm. egg for me. Yeah. But but once you find the container or the structure that you want to use for a memoir, I imagine, I mean, were you so happy when you figured it out? Yes, I was very relieved. Um, <laughs> but also the, the the thing that happened was that there were there were chunks of this story that I thought could fit you know, kind of in one chapter that I ended up exploding out into several. So uh, there were, I think there were, you know, maybe 11 chapters in the proposal and there have been, there are 13 in the final manuscript. So I added a, a couple in there, which was great. Glad that my, my publisher was, was comfortable with that as long as I stuck within their, you know, they had a, they had a, a word limit or a range uh-huh. that they were they were hoping for as long as I stuck within that range they didn't really care how the chapters shook out and then once yeah. you once you got a publisher um mm-hmm. can, are you comfortable sharing a little bit about the publishing journey from getting an agent to mm. you know in however broad or or yeah. particular strokes you you feel like sharing because I do think it's really it's such a, a such a lovely story to hear that a memoir got agented and yeah. it got sold and it's coming out and yeah yeah. So um, 
what 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 I knew about myself is that I didn't really feel like I had it in me to spend years querying agents and like getting an unending stream of rejections. And so I I gambled and set my sights on the New York Times because I knew that at least then there, I know New York Times is doing a lot less first person essay now, a lot less personal essay. But at the time they were still really popular in the um, the well family section. Mm. So I set my sights on getting a New York Times well family article published because I knew that would get some attention. And so I think I submitted to the New York Times Well Family section 11 times before they said yes. Um, (laughs) I just kept trying. Um, And once they finally said yes, I got real busy finishing the proposal because I, Mm -hmm. I was going, you only get one line in your bio for the New York Times. And so my one line was that I was working on a memoir about about um, medical mystery. And so once the article came out, I got quite a bit of interest from both agents and actually from big publishers, none of which ended up buying the book. But mm-hmm. because I had interest from some bigger publishers, emails that they that these editors had sent me, when I reached out to some of the agents, I was able to use, you know, like the subject line interest from XYZ Press. And that really was really helpful. In the end, I found my agent because one of the publishers asked me to have my agent contact her and I didn't have an agent yet. And so I said, I was honest with her. I replied and said, you know, I'm, I'm currently looking for representation. If there's someone you've really liked working with, please feel free to share that name. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did. And it that ended up being my lovely agent, oh my Sharon gosh. Bowers. Yeah. This story is just like warming me up from the inside. <laughs> I mean, it was great. It required me to really put on my big girl pants and, you know, take some big risks and make big asks. But I'm glad I did. And so, mm-hmm. like I said, Sharon took this out on submission in January of 2020. Um, and then, you know, we all know what happened next. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so now let's talk about writing family members, writing medical memoirs, writing illness memoirs, and the genre itself. Um, did you turn to any memoirs for inspiration, or did you do you have favorite memoirs that helped you while you were writing? Absolutely. Um, I read a lot of books about medicine, both narrative and non-narrative, but the memoirs that I, I felt were, were the, the most interesting. One was um, Brain on Fire by Susanna Kalan, who wrote about her experience with PANS. I, I'm blanking on what it what it stands for, but it is um, a multi-system inflammatory disease that sometimes comes after strep that she had, and mm. it, it creates all kinds of challenges with just brain swelling. Um, mm-hmm. So she had this incredible memoir about that. And I believe they made that into a movie. And I really appreciated how she wrote medicine, how she tra- kept track of everything, how she'd interviewed family members to make sure she had things right. And the other one, which um, I just loved, is Heather Harpum's Happiness, The Crooked Little Road to Semi-Ever After. Mm-hmm. And that is the closest, I think, closest thing to my own book. She had a, a daughter with a rare disease, um, and her her book is the story of you know, figuring out how to treat her and how it affected her marriage and relationships. And it is just a beautiful memoir. I read a lot of them, but those are the two that stick out the Mm -hmm. most. Thank you for those. And did you have any qualms or were there family discussions when, you know, you wrote the essay for the New York Times and then the whole story is going to get unfurled in a book. And so what were conversations like in your family and and maybe about your daughter or with your daughter uh, 
you know, when it came to sharing the arc of your story and your search to get her better? Yeah, well, I I wouldn't have done any of it if I hadn't had Sammy's permission. Um, That's absolutely a a non-starter for me. And there have been things over the years that she's asked me not to write about. And of course, I respect that. She doesn't know any different. This is the childhood she had. And so she's never felt ashamed by it, at Mm -hmm. least that she's that she's ever told me. I mean, she feels very comfortable with this story going out. I will tell you, she is the greatest publicist ever. If you follow follow her on Instagram and all of her parent-teacher conferences began with, so Sammy tells me you wrote a book. So so she's very open about it, but I would never have done this if she wasn't. What One of the things that I was always very proud of her for was that because um, a, quite a lot of the, the challenges that she faced were due to a congenital heart defect, she always volunteered at her school to talk about it during American Heart Week. And she did do presentations to the PE classes and that kind of thing when she was very little. Um, and so I know that this is not something that she's trying to hide. But I think more importantly than that, I did not want to tell Sammy's story in this book. Of course, you find out in broad strokes what it was like, but I can't tell you what Sammy felt like mm-hmm. because I'm not Sammy. This is the story of parenting, not the story of being parented. And that's really important to me. So I've tried to be very respectful and keep it to the things that that I can that I am capable of knowing just mm-hmm. based on being in the room and much more about my inner life than hers. Right. And then did you were you able to go back and see how your behavior, you know, when when you're writing the book in in more recent years, were you able to take a look at your actions in the past or during some of the situations and see them in a way that was able to analyze what you were going through and what you were feeling and and maybe mistakes that you'd made? Yes, I mean, it's certainly there's you're reflecting that's always that's always going to happen. Um I I feel I feel pretty good about the way that we handled um this these challenges as a family. Um I always saw my kids as real human beings, people with inner lives of their own. And I always wanted to know how they were feeling about things and to include Mm -hmm. them in decision making to a developmentally appropriate level. And so I'm grateful to be able to look back and not have too many regrets. But I did share in the book one scene where I, I did finally lose my temper in a way that was not productive and not fair to Sammy. And I think it's important to include stuff like that, not only for my own accountability, but for other parents who also lose their tempers. I don't know a (laughs) single parent who hasn't at some point said something they regretted. And so it would be, you know, it wouldn't serve anyone for me to leave that out. Mm -hmm. And I do want to circle back to the idea of writing about illness and writing about our children. And I know there is some debate in the writing world, especially when it comes to memoir, about what, and, and, and you did say that this was your story, not hers. And so what would you, what advice would you offer or what are your thoughts about how to gauge whether or not what you're sharing is, you know, crossing a line or an invasion of privacy for a loved one or someone who is receiving care? 
Well, I think if there's a, even a second where you think to yourself, maybe I shouldn't write this, the answer is you should not write that. I don't think, I think any any even tiny little doubt is is worth um, leaving that piece out. Because, you know, we, we as writers, we, we're looking sometimes to mine our lives for interesting things. And we have to just figure out and, and be really thoughtful about when that's likely to hurt someone else. So I think that there's real, there's validity to the argument that we should be extremely cautious about writing about our children. However, I know my kid and I know her well. We're, we're after, after all the tr- trials and struggles we went through, I'm grateful beyond measure that we are very close now. And, and I feel confident that she understands what she agreed to and that she's okay with it. I made a point of leaving out any medical information that had anything to do with private parts of her body or things that aren't flattering to her. I left out an entire chapter on tantrums that, um, even though it was real, um, I, I think we, you know maybe could could be challenging for a teenager if her friends read it. So yeah. I left all of that out. I think I think parents are human beings who deserve representation, and as long as they're being thoughtful and careful and getting consent from their kids to write about these things, then I think it's a, only of value to other parents to be able to see their worlds reflected. And I think that the the bigger question is when you have a kid who can't consent because of a ver- any variety of reasons, then maybe that story needs to wait until they're old enough to consent, or maybe that story has to be in more private, you know, kind of situations, not in a published book. That's really, I really, you bring up such a good point. And I, I do appreciate your perspective on this. I love talking about this. And I think it is nuanced. And I, I, I get the real sense that you and your daughter are so solid and cohesive about this and that you have such a good relationship and you made it through a lot. Thinking about children who are too young to consent and thinking about children who may never be able to consent or even maybe incapacitated adults. I mean, I haven't written a memoir like this, and so I'm wondering, and, and I know you you have a different set of circumstances, which we just went over with your daughter, but how do you think an, a memoirist could navigate that? If they had a child who was really young, would you then say, wait until they're old enough to consent? Or what if they are a child who won't be able to ever, or an adult who you take care of who won't ever be able to consent? What would you say? I mean, I'm, it's easy for me to make that decision or just give you an answer here in the moment, um, but I'm not in that situation. And so I think everyone should take whatever I'm about to say here with, with that grain of salt that I don't have a child like that. I did have a, a child too young to consent, and I did wait to make sure she was comfortable with it. I didn't start writing this book until she was, you know, 11 or 12. Um, and so... I thought that, you know, we could talk about what she was comfortable with and what she wasn't. If I had a child who could never consent, I guess one of the questions would be, was that is that child old enough to be affected by what I write? Is their care likely to be affected by what I'm writing? Um, are there other relationships likely to be affected by what I'm writing? 
I think those are the questions I'd want to ask myself. And what is my goal in writing? Because the reason that I wrote this book was that I want parents to feel, well, well two things. I wanted them to feel um, you know, more connected to feeding as a non one size fits all thing. And I also wanted them to feel comfortable asking deeper questions of their medical providers. So if I had a child who was in you know, was not able to consent and I had those goals, I might ask myself, is there another way I can achieve those besides writing a book about them? Mm-hmm. Good, good questions. Very good to think about. So then, you know, in our final few minutes, I would love for you to offer, if there's any advice you would like to give memoirists in general or writers in general, I'd love to have it. I'd love to collect those brilliant moments from writers who have been there. And also the other thing is if if you had to say something more general to memoirists who are working on a memoir about illness or recovery or the healthcare system, is there, and if there isn't, that's okay, is there anything that you would caution them or or really, you know, suggest that they look out for a pitfall or something about the genre that they should be aware of that you understand now? Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I will say that it's like it's not wrong when then people say that memoirs are hard to sell. They are. They're hard to sell. Um, if you're not famous, they're really hard to sell. They're not impossible to sell. We've had some spectacularly successful memoirs in the last few years. You know, they're, it's harder, and that's just the truth. But I, I think what I found most unique about writing this particular book is that I had lucked out in having a very, very good friend who lived on the other side of the world the entire time that the ex- this, these experiences were unfolding in my life, which meant that she and I communicated almost completely via Facebook Messenger, which meant that downloading my Messenger history with her was like downloading a diary. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to use my own conversations online with her as research for the book. When did this happen? What order was it? What was I feeling in a raw and uncensored way that I might have written to her? Mm. Um, it was a resource I, I, I stumbled on because I was trying to find uh, a date. And then I realized how incredibly valuable it was. So if you're trying to remember what happened and you have anything like that, you know, old text messages, email messages, it's a a really, really great resource. Um, It can be. Um, And the other thing is if you're writing for medical memoir, the one thing you can do is the hospital records. Often there's a charge for them, at least there was for me, but I was able to get like thousands of pages of medical records from the hospital, which was great. And that was very useful. Also quite triggering. You know, uh, doctors and surgeons are pretty detailed in their descriptions of exactly Mm. what unfolds and how. Sometimes they're photographs. So be, be, Mm. be prepared for that. And then I guess the one pitfall I would say is in doing research on prevalence of things or how other people do with this illness, if that's something that you're writing about, be careful with online support groups. It is hard to remember that people who have had great success with the treatments for whatever illness they, they're suffering from, uh, people who have had great success with treatments are not hanging out in messaging groups mm. and you know trying to figure out what to do next. They go on with their lives. And so these online patient support groups are self-selected group of people who are maybe struggling more mm. and not necessarily representative of the larger community with that set of challenges. And so it's important to remember that and not 
kind of imagine that everybody is as sick as that or everybody mm. failed that treatment or that kind of thing. Wow, that's really, I would never have thought about that, but that makes perfect sense. So then how about this is a question which you just prompted me in, in what you were saying to think about this. The, I, this is really hard, I think, to quantify. And I mean, I think I could quantify it for myself with my book, but how much of your memoir work, writing it, you know, I'll say drafting it, was from your experience that required no research and no pouring over records at, you know, percentage wise, and how much was hard facts and data that you had to assimilate? Oh, I, my guess is it's probably 90 10, you know, mm-hmm. 90% my own experiences. I mean, you can call it research if you if you want looking back at my Facebook Messenger, but that was mostly just mm-hmm. to kind of make sure I got the order of operations correct. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very important to me not to, you know, as much as possible to get this as factually correct as I could. Every time we remember something, we are remembering the last time we remember it. Our brains overwrite memories. And so I, I wanted to be sure I wasn't remembering things either more dramatically or less dramatically <laughs> than they really happened. But I, the, the research that I did was pretty minimal on, on small things like exactly how surgeries are done, um, the, the, the names for medications, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for, for illuminating that. It's so fascinating. Where, where can we find your book? Where can we find you and connect with you? Yeah. um, So you can order my book, Kitchen Medicine, How I Fed My Daughter Out of Failure to Thrive. Um, Almost anywhere books are sold. Um, If you have a favorite local independent bookstore, that's always going to be my favorite place for people to buy books. But it is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Powell's and all those big ones. And my website is debbielewis.com. It's D-E-B-I-L-E-W-I-S.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Grow the Sunshine. Great. Thank you so much for being my guest. I'm really glad we had this chance to talk about your beautiful book. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here.